Heavenly Father, we just thank you. We thank you for this day that we can come before you and worship you. Why don't we just take this time just to really reflect on him and what he's done for us. Take this time just to reflect on this continuous connection that we have with God because of what Lord Jesus has done on the cross for us. Father, thank you. Thank you for the gift of this day. Father, thank you for Jesus. And we pray, Holy Spirit, would you just, would you fill this place? Would you open our hearts? Would you open our minds, our ears, our eyes, just to see, just to hear, just to taste your sweet word? Would you help guide us with the word today, Father, to just let it rest on our hearts, to understand who truly has an amazing heart? In Jesus' name, we pray, and all God's people said, amen. amen, amen. Well, good morning. How is everyone? Heard a couple grumbles, so I know a couple folks are still waking up. Why don't you go ahead and turn your Bibles today to 1 Kings chapter 3, verses 1 through 15, because that's where we're going to be at. Well, my name is Jared Delapetro. And I'm a covenant member here at Forest Park Church, but I'm also a pastoral resident. And what that means is I'm not just here as an intern to preach to you, to rather learn how to preach. It means I'm family. I'm here to grow with you. I'm actually here to, to grow in the Word of God myself as, as well as to shepherd each one of you. And just like every family, we all have that crazy aunt or uncle that needs a little bit of grace when you deal with them. And today I want you to, to just consider that being me. I need a little bit of extra grace, is this is my very first sermon. Now, I'm pumped up about it, and I'm excited for the Word of God, and I hope you will be as well. But speaking of this sermon, I had to really pray and think about what do I want to discuss? Should I continue on in the series of John, or should I pause it? And I felt God reach down to me and sit there and say, hold on for a second. Let's flop back to the Old Testament here, because there's something we need to address. We need to address the heart of the issue. Now, if you're like me from a couple years ago, anytime someone brought up the Old Testament, I was like, oh, dear Lord. I was excited, and then you talked about the Old Testament, and let's just face it, the Old Testament is, well, it's old. But that's okay. That's okay. Because after I studied a little bit more in my seminary school, and I started to learn a little bit of Hebrew, and mind you, I am not an expert in the subject. I'm not an expert in that language. You learn a lot, and it really starts to change your heart. As you see that this once dull text it becomes alive again. You see, the English translations we have, they're great, don't get me wrong, they're, they're amazing, but they, they do miss out. Something is lost in the translation. And while you may think, hey, that's kind of blasphemous to say, you know, especially about the Old Testament and it being so rough, try and read Leviticus and not want to stab your eyeballs out, because I'm going to be honest with you, it's rough. You get to Genesis, it's good. Exodus, great. Leviticus, oh, starts to get a little bit rougher. But my prayer here is that through this sermon, as we go into the Old Testament text, that you would open up your hearts, that God would open them up, and that you would see there is so many amazing things. So again, if you haven't already, go ahead and turn to 1 Kings chapter 3, verses 1 through 15. Now, before we get started, there's a couple of important things I want you to know about this text. First, that Kings is a book with an unknown author. We don't know who it is. We do know that it was written in the 6th century B.C., it was written in a historical narrative format, and what that means is it shows the succession of kings and the power exchanges that happened within Israel. Really, though, it highlights God's sovereignty, and we're going to see that today. 
One of the kings highlighted is King David, whom we know had a heart after the Lord. In fact, he loved the Lord so much, he told him, you've done so much for me, would you please allow me to build a house for you? God saw the heart of the matter and said, I appreciate that, but you can't make my name great. Nobody can make me great. I am God. However, what I can do is make you great, and I will always keep a remnant on the throne for you. I will always have one of your sons on the throne. In other words, God is telling David, I'm a... I apologize. As I look at this, I'm just really, I look at his heart because he tells him how much he loves him. He tells him that I'm always going to keep you on the throne. I'm always going to have some remnant of yours on the throne until one day King Jesus arrives. And we'll see that as we turn to our first four verses, and we'll go ahead and start reading 1 Kings chapter 3, verses 1 through 4. Solomon made a marriage alliance with Pharaoh, king of Egypt. He took Pharaoh's daughter and brought her into the city of David until he had finished building his own house and the house of the Lord. In the wall around Jerusalem, the people were sacrificing at the high places, however, because, the house, uh, because no house had yet been built for the name of the Lord. Solomon loved the Lord, walking in the statutes of David his father, only he sacrificed and made offerings at the high places. And the king went to Gibeon to sacrifice there, for that was the great high place. Solomon used to offer a thousand burnt offerings on that altar. Now let's stop here and unpack what we just read, because at, at first go, everything seems kind of normal, right? Verse 1, what do we see? A marriage alliance. And that wasn't all that untypical back in that day. It was a way to guarantee peace for the nations. And so we see that's what happens here. In fact, after the marriage, he brings back his new bride to the city of David, otherwise known as ancient Jerusalem. However, Something begins to change a little bit. We, we do see that he's building the Lord's house, but he's also building his house, and, and kind of focus in on that. Because verse 2, something goes off. You see, both the English and the Hebrew translations tell us, stop, pay attention here. They just do it in different ways. Did you notice in uh, verse 2, the word however? You see, it says that the people were worshiping at the high places, however, because the Lord's house had not been built yet. So obviously, we need to pay attention, but the Hebrew helps us focus in a little bit more on what we're paying attention to. You see, in Hebrew, not only do you read from right to left, the sentence order is also a little bit different. For example, we would say in English the following sentence, Jared threw the ball. Jared threw the ball. In Hebrew, they don't do it that way. They always start with the action first. In other words, they would start with the verb. Through... Jared the ball. Sounds a little bit crazy, but that's how they do it. Through Jared the ball. Now, why is that important? Why does that even matter to you? Because anytime they, they, they do this, that's normal. However, when they don't do that, they're saying, you need to focus in on what we are putting first in this sentence. And so what happens for verse 2, they didn't start with the verb in Hebrew. They actually start with the people. So why are we focusing in on the people? What's going on? What matters? Well, to find out, we actually have to turn a little bit further to Deuteronomy chapter 12, verses 1 through 5. And this will help clue us in to what we need to know. These are the statutes and the rules that you shall be careful to do in the land that the Lord, the God of your fathers, has given you to possess all the days that you live on the earth. You shall surely destroy all the places where the nations whom you shall dispossess serve their gods on the high mountains and on the hills and under every green tree. 
You shall tear down their altars and dash in pieces their pillars and burn their ashram with fire. You shall chop down the carved images of their gods and destroy their name out of that place. You shall not worship the Lord your God in that way, but you shall seek the place that the Lord your God will choose out of all your tribes to put his name and make his habitation there. There you shall go. So what does that mean? You see, this chapter starts to clue us in on what's going on with the people. In other words, God was saying back in Deuteronomy, I don't want you to worship me like these other nations worship me. Don't worship me on all these high hills under every green tree. You worship where I tell you to worship me. And back then, that was at the Ark of the Covenant. That was at the tabernacle. That's where the Lord wanted to be worshipped at. But is that what the people were doing? No. Nobody was doing what they were supposed to. So now we kind of understand this problem. However, notice in verses 3 for 4, what is King Solomon doing? Is he setting the people straight? Is he telling them this is what you need to do? You shouldn't be doing these things? No! He's worshiping in the high places as well. In fact, he's worshiping in the great high place, Gibeon. Now, think about this. He's the king. He's the leader. He's supposed to be setting the example for everybody. He isn't. He's failing. So if you're taking notes, I want you to understand that the first point is that King Solomon and the people's worship was not in right standing with God. Let's think about that again. King Solomon and the people's worship was not in right standing with God. Now it's easy to sit there and say, hey, we wouldn't do what Solomon did. We would never lead people astray. But how often as a parent, as as an employee, or as the boss at work, have you set for yourself and said, I'm going to follow Christ. I'm going to show people what that looks like today. And then you do exactly what you shouldn't be doing. We do it all too often. I'll be the first to admit, I do it all the time. And so we see here and now that this passage, it's speaking to us. Let's go ahead and continue on in verses 5 through 9, though. And let's pick up on the rest of the story to see what else the Hebrew can teach us. At Gibeon, the Lord appeared to Solomon in a dream by night. And God said, ask what I shall give you. And Solomon said, you have shown great and steadfast love to your servant David, my father, because he walked before you in faithfulness and righteousness and in uprightness of heart toward you. And you have kept for him the great and steadfast love and have given him a son to sit on his throne this day. And now, O Lord my God, you have made your servant king in place of David, my father, although I am but a little child. I do not know how to go out or come in. And your servant is in the midst of your people whom you have chosen, a great people, too many to be numbered or counted for multitude. Give your servant, therefore, an understanding mind to govern your people that I may discern between good and evil. For who is able to govern this, your great people? So what's going on? What did we just read here? Obviously, the English translations, they tell us something. Hey, pay attention. God's speaking, right? And if he's speaking, we should be focusing in on what's going on. However, just as things were lost in translation a little bit in the passage we previously went over, verses 1 through 4, it happens again. That sentence order I talked about, where any time where the Hebrew does not go the way it's supposed to, it's telling you to pay attention. Well, for verses 5, 6, and 8, They reverse the order once more. You see, instead of highlighting the action, they highlight the place of worship, Gibeon, the Lord, and King Solomon. Now, why do they do that? It's like the Hebrew text is speaking to us, saying, stop, pay attention to this conversation that's going on. You need to see what is happening. 
And I don't know if you caught it, but if you looked in verse 5, what was the first thing you saw? God is still gracious to meet with Solomon. Think about that for a second. Did God have any reason to meet with Solomon? Was he doing what he was supposed to be doing? No. Solomon was leading the people astray. But yet God still met with him. We'll unpack this a little bit further, but let's go ahead and focus in on the rest of the conversation. Let's take note of verse 6 now and how Solomon mentions that the Lord's love for, for his father David. And in other words, King Solomon is saying, thank you, Father. Thank you for allowing me to sit on King David, my father's throne. Again, while the English translations make it seem like this is all normal, hey, it's just one king taking over for another, right? That just happened. The oldest son always took over. That's not what the Hebrew points out. You see, the words to sit in this verse are translated as Yosef in Hebrew. And y'all can say that, right? Yosef? No? No, that's okay. I couldn't say it forever either. <laughs> but that's not the point, and that's not what I want you to grasp. You see, what I want you to understand is it's a participle in Hebrew. And a participle, it stresses an ongoing, continuous action. And why that's vital in this verse is it's not a one-time deal. You see, when Solomon was talking to the Lord, saying, thank you for allowing me to sit on my father's throne, he wasn't saying this once. What he was alluding to was something much grander. Thank you for allowing me to sit and to always allow somebody to sit on my father's throne. Always. Until King Jesus arrives. In other words, what we see is God's faithfulness in fulfilling his promise to David right off the bat. We see that he's already fulfilling his covenant to always have an heir on the throne. Solomon is the beginning of that long line and a continuous one, again, until we see our Lord and Savior arrive. So if you're taking notes, the second point I want you to grab is that God is gracious and in sovereign control over the rulers and authorities. Again, if you're taking notes, the second point is that God is gracious and in sovereign control over the rulers and authorities. You know, amazingly, though, this isn't the only time we see this, this Hebrew participle. In fact, in verse 9, King Solomon uses a Hebrew phrase named Sama. Sama. And again, I don't expect you to remember it. But the reason why it's so unique and it changes how we read this text otherwise is when you see an understanding mind and heart, what you see is it sounds like English-wise, Lord, please give me the wisdom to lead this people just this once. That's what the English makes it seem like. But knowing that this is a participle changes it because what we see now is King Solomon is saying something much grander. Lord, please always give me a continuous heart to know your will. Continually teach me. Continually show me your path and your way because I can't lead these people without it. If you think about that, that's an extraordinary request. Do you ask God for a continually understanding heart and mind in him to know his will? truth is we usually don't. We usually are that people. Again, I'll use myself as an example. We ask for that one-time heart, that one-time mind. Lord, please help me. I'm having a bad day. Help me get through this once, even though I didn't come to you the day or the day before because it was a good day for me. But that's not what Solomon is doing. Solomon is starting to understand that there's a huge, valuable relationship. It's the only way to succeed is to have that relationship we were built with, to built for, rather, to have it with God. Sadly, again, I don't think we focus in on the value of a relationship with our Lord and Savior Jesus. So let's continue moving forward in verses 10 through 15 and see what else the story has in store for us. Verse 10, it pleased the Lord that Solomon had asked this, 
And God said to him, because you have asked this, and have not asked for yourself long life or riches or the life of your enemies, but have asked for yourself understanding to discern what is right, behold, I now do according to your word. Behold, I give you a wise and discerning mind, so that none like you has been before you, and none like you shall arise after you. I give you also what you have not asked, both riches and honor, so that no other king shall compare with you all your days. And if you will walk in my ways, keeping my statutes and my commandments, as your father David walked, then I will lengthen your days. And Solomon awoke, and behold, it was a dream. Then he came to Jerusalem and stood before the ark of the covenant of the Lord, and offered up burnt offerings and peace offerings, and made a feast for all his servants. So let's point out a couple more things here before we get to our application. First, obviously, we see that the Lord, he's pleased with Solomon. It was, an, it was an outstanding request. We have to face the facts. That was amazing. We wouldn't do that. But he grants it, and he grants so much more. I've got to pause here, and I've got to tell you, don't take this to mean that if you do a similar prayer, that if you say the right things, God's going to do the same thing for you, because that's not how this works. Remember, the Lord, he knows your hearts. He knows your intentions. He knew what Solomon was doing. He knows that if you go to prayer of him and say, Lord, I love you. I'm not going to say it, but I hope you make me rich. He knows where you're coming from. And you have to remember that this was God's will. It wasn't Solomon's. To give him that wisdom was God's will. You also need to remember that in Isaiah 55, verses 8 and 9, we are told that the Lord's ways, they're not our ways, and his thoughts are not our thoughts. Instead, understand that the best thing for you is to have this true relationship with God, with Christ, as the Lord is the only one who knows your needs. King Solomon was beginning to understand this. So if you're taking notes, the third point I want you to gather is that King Solomon understood wealth and honor. It paled in comparison to a continual relationship and connection with God. Again, Solomon understood that wealth and honor, it meant nothing. It paled in comparison to a continual relationship and connection with God. You notice here, though, in verse 14, we start to see this conditional clause, too, though, right? We see that the Lord tells Solomon, hey, I'm going to grant this request and so much more. If you follow my ways, I will sustain you. Now, this is a theme we see often repeated in Scripture time and time again. If you follow the Lord, he's going to pull you through. Unfortunately, no one is ever able to meet that clause. No one can fulfill that request. Well, there was Jesus, and he is the only one who can truly fulfill that request. Now, how do I know that I'm not just talking off to the side of my mouth here going, oh, well, we can't fulfill it? Look back to the beginning of the Bible in the Garden of Eden with Adam and Eve. Could they fulfill it? No. When they tried to do it on their own, they failed, and they failed massively, and we have the fall of mankind. You see, we can't even succeed on our own as Solomon couldn't succeed on his own. In fact, we know he didn't. He failed massively in the end, too. And like Solomon, we need to realize that we need to reach out to the Lord for help as we will ultimately fail unless we do. Luckily, the Lord is right there. He's waiting for you. Just as the Lord met with Solomon, he shouldn't have, but he did. Jesus is right there waiting for you to meet with him. Now again, I don't want you to take this to mean that you're not going to have hard times or trials. You will. They are coming. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 12 tells us, if you follow Jesus, you're going to be persecuted. This isn't an easy lifestyle. However, you always need to remember in the end, you're going to succeed, as he's the only one who can help you through. Let's turn back to verse 15, and let's finish up what we see here. 
I always found this interesting. In verse 15, isn't it interesting we, we immediately sing that King Solomon, where does he go? Is he worshiping on the high places anymore? No. He runs back to where he should. He goes to the Ark of the Covenant, and that's where he starts to worship. You see, he op- God opened Solomon's eyes. Was it Solomon who did all this? No. God is the one who initiated this, because again, he shouldn't even have met with him, but he did. And we see that Solomon's eyes are open to see what really mattered. And we too can do the same thing through Christ, as he has revealed himself to us. So as we close up here, and we think about how does this apply to us today, I first want you to take heart, I want you to understand that God is faithful to fulfill his promises. He is in sovereign control amidst a chaotic world. Again, you need to realize God is faithful to fulfill his promises, and he is in sovereign control amidst a chaotic world. We see God's sovereignty and faithfulness at work as he establishes King Solomon in alignment with his covenant with David. He said, I will do this, and he did. He always put someone on the throne until Jesus arrived. We know it's fulfilled because King Jesus did arrive. And this should provide you comfort when you look at the world around you today and the chaos. You should be able to see. The Lord knows what's going on. He is in control. There's nothing that is happening right now that hasn't happened before. And he's leading it the whole way. His good and perfect will is at work right now. And he's faithful to fulfill not just only these promises, but all the promises that Scripture tells us. For instance, the promise that Jesus, he's overcome the world, John 16, 33. In fact, our king is on the throne right now. He's not flawed. He's not imperfect, but he is perfect. He's not Solomon. He's King Jesus. Remember the promise that there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, as Romans 8.1 tells us. You know, another crucial takeaway I want you to grasp from this is that a continuous relationship with God is far more valuable than anything you could ever ask for. Again, a continuous relationship with God it is far more valuable than anything you could ever ask for. You know, sadly, I don't think we really understand the value of our relationship with Christ. I don't think we understand what he's truly done for us in initiating everything. So I want you to pause and think about that. Do you, do you think about worldly things when you pray? Do you overlook your relationship with God and reduce it to nothing more than just simple request? I need you this once. Or do you truly slow down and see that just like Solomon... God initiated everything. He initiated everything with you and Christ Jesus to connect with him. So take that time. Slow down to build that relationship with him. Now finally, the question I have for you is this. Who is the person with an amazing heart? I mean, that's the title of the sermon, so the question I would have for you is, who's the one? You would think that maybe it's Solomon, right? He's the one who asked for this continuous heart, this continuous mind, right? The truth is, this passage isn't about Solomon at all. It's about God. Did you realize that in 15 verses, just 15 verses, God is mentioned 30 times through various pronouns and various titles? And don't get me wrong, Solomon's request, hey, it was great. It's more than I can honestly say I've ever done. But God's fulfillment of this request was so much better. In other words, the last application I want you to gather is that you need to understand God is the one with an amazing heart having already provided you with a continual connection to him in Lord Jesus. Again, God is the one with an amazing heart, having already provided you with a continual connection to him in Lord Jesus.
Remember, again, God shouldn't even have met with Solomon. He was leading the people astray. But he did meet with him. And he provided for him an access to a continual connection to him. And realize it or not, you too have this loving connection with God. A continual connection with God. His name is Jesus Christ. He's the king that reigns forever just as God promised. He is our great high priest as Hebrews 4 verses 14 through 16 tells us. So ask yourselves, are you continually looking to Christ? Or are you looking to yourself? As we discussed, there's only one way to succeed, and that is with the continual relationship we were always built to have with God. So again, ask yourself, do you recognize your need for Christ today? I implore you, if you don't, please turn to him. And if you do, grow in him. And if you're not sure how to do either, come see me after service, please. It would be my honor and my privilege to be beside you as we go to Lord Jesus. You know, one of the ways that we grow in relationship with Christ is by coming to him to meet him at the table for communion. It's a solemn yet joyous reminder of what Christ has done for us. Through him we have a new covenant. We have this salvation. And it wasn't free by any means, but it was paid for by the precious body and blood of Jesus. We didn't deserve it, and we sure as heck didn't earn it. Rather, God provided it through his amazing heart. And because of this, we have an everlasting connection with God. Understand, though, that when we come to the table, this is a show of faith, your faith in Christ, and accepting him as your personal Lord and Savior. It's a time to to thank him, to repent of your sins, and realize, yeah, you're not perfect. But God sees you as righteous because of what Christ did. He already sees you as clean because of Christ's actions. However, if you're not in Christ, there is a warning. Don't take this bread and cup. Please don't, because in essence, what you're saying is, I don't need a Savior. I am my own Savior. And I promise you, at the end of time, at the last of days, when you stand before God in judgment, you're going to have to be the one to answer for what you've done, and you won't stand. Instead, we ask that you would uh, peacefully just pass it to the side, reflect on your relationship with God, and, and again, come see me after service. Let's go ahead and go in prayer as our our leaders come to the front for communion to pass things out. And uh, let's just take this time to really connect with God. Let's let's reflect on him. Let's tell him how much we love him. And uh, let's just go to him in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father and Lord, thank you. Thank you, Father, that we have a continual connection with you in Lord Jesus. Thank you for what he did on the cross Thank you for the blood shed, for his body that was broken and beaten. We didn't deserve this, and we can't earn it. But you gave it to us so freely. You gave it with your amazing heart. You truly have an amazing heart, Father, and we are just grateful that we can worship you. And we pray we would take this time to meet you at the table, to remember this. In Jesus' name, and all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Again, take this time, please. Reflect on God and your relationship with him. You know, I didn't do this during the first service, and and honestly, um, a good friend once told me that if God gives you something, you got to go with it. And, uh, you know, as I reflect on this relationship with God, I'll be honest, this week was terrorizing for me as you, you learn to preach. But I see what God did in me and worked through here in that I can talk about his sweet word. 
I used to be scared to the point I couldn't do this. And as a matter of fact, my sister is scared right now because she's supposed to go up on stage here in a little bit as she's about to be baptized into church in Texas. And all I could think about is her being welcomed home as we're being welcomed home right now at the table. And I'm so thankful for that moment. I'm thankful for each and every one of you. And I just, I'm just so thankful that this, though honestly this is some nasty stuff. I don't know what this is. It's plastic. It could be um, probably bad for your health. But in all seriousness, it's what it reflects, that we get to come home. We get to eat at the table of Christ, and it represents his body that was broken for us, bringing us that salvation. Take it and eat it in remembrance of him. Next, we reflect on this cup. We reflect on the fact that it's more than just some sour juice. It's his blood that was shed on the cross for us. We take it and we drink it in remembrance of him. Let's worship our king and go in prayer one more time. Dear Heavenly Father and Lord, thank you. Thank you for this continuous relationship we have with you because of your Son and our Savior, Jesus. Father, we pray that these would be more than just mere words that we read today, but that this message would settle in our hearts, that it would build within us, that you would work within us, Lord Jesus. Holy Spirit, please continue to grow each one of us in your name. Help us to reach others. Father, we're just thankful again that we could come to your throne and worship you. For it is in your holy, in your heavenly and blessed name that we pray in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. Let's worship our King.